This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate. Morena, no mai kiti korero. Welcome to the catch-up on Manawatu People's Radio. Tereo Irarangi Onatangata o Manawatu. It is a Tuesday morning, and so we turn our attention to uh, the council, Horizons Regional Council in this instance, and we have on the phone uh, chairperson of the council, Rachel Kidwell. Good morning to you. Morena, Fraser. Um, it's been a while since we caught up, and I know I think it was my fault, uh, the the last one. I think we were meant to be speaking to Sam Ferguson, but that fell through. So it's been a while since we've had a chance to catch up with Horizons. Uh, the world, <laughs> a significantly different place uh, than when we spoke last. Uh, obviously, Wellington and Ukraine and just everything is all up in the air. It might be quite nice to just bring things back to the region and look at... Uh, some local uh, positive stories, actually. Um, and one of them that I saw uh, in the news recently was uh, a committee that I think only started last April, uh, the Climate Action Joint Committee. Um, you had a meeting last Monday, and this is a lot of local councils uh, committing to action against climate change. Yes, that's right. And, yeah, it was, it was a great meeting. And uh, we have around the table for that committee is all of the mayors from the region, so there's seven mayors and myself, and seven Tangata Whenua members. And, uh, yeah, on the agenda on Monday, we had some a really great presentation, actually, from one of the members who, who co-chairs, um, Professor Huhana Smith. And she was pretty much showcasing some amazing work being done down in her, or he, uh, she's just in uh, the bottom end of our region, so just south of, of Levin. And uh, some really good work they're doing on their their lands, looking at um, resilience to farming in a coastal environment under climate change scenarios. And I've had uh, there's you know multiple different angles I've looked at, but what's quite neat about their project is not just looking at the climate resilience aspect, but it was bringing in um, cultural and art and um, you know making people making a connection back to the land. It was yeah, it was a great presentation and, and really neat to see that there's some inspirational work going on in around the region. Um, well, inspirational, but it also sounds like quite a holistic approach. Like you say, it's not just focused on one area, but there's the, the, there's a lot of pieces that make up the the, the puzzle. And obviously, mm-hmm. this area is one of New, New Zealand's prime what do they call it arable land areas. The ability to to farm is is one of our main assets. So we we do need to look after that under increasingly trying conditions. Yes, and that was one of the things they were looking at. You know, the, the the range of inputs you have to put into some patches of land is just going to go up and up as the land becomes more and more marginal with the you know, the raising water level um in in the the uh salt water that comes in as well. Um, you know, so it's 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 looking ahead and saying, well how do we is it best to look at something different? So one of the aspects of their project, they were planting flax and uh, looking at setting up a linen industry. So fibre for making, you know, there's, there's a whole chain of events that can come out of that. So it's looking at, at to different ways of doing things than what we currently do. 
And uh, looking at the the article that I read in the news, uh, Whanganui District Council uh, looking at collection of food waste, and I, I quite like this: the rewilding of city green mm. spaces. Uh, is mm. this a, is this uh, an opportunity in the the joint committee to skate a little bit, um, or is it really about sharing ideas and trying to encourage others to to come along on the journey? Yeah, yeah, there's a bit of both. So it's really putting the councils on the spot and saying to them, what what are you doing in this area? Um, every council is at a different place, you know, depending on where their governance has got to about supporting through budget um, different initiatives. But they're also in different places in terms of the the threats that they face, whether it's coastal inundation or whether it's flooding or drought, um, you know, because of our region is quite varied in its terrain. So it was a it was a useful chance to hear from councils as to where they are, and it gives you a bit of a measure. People listening in can check in and see where their council's at, and also hear what's possible. Is this uh, a case of uh, Horizons being a more more in a leadership role with these district and city councils around them, or are you pitching in on this as well and sharing your ideas for passing on? Yeah, so we're still doing our own work because um, you know each council is responsible for different duties. So we need to look at the, what functions that we have to make resilient to climate change. And every organisation, of course, can do things like a greenhouse gas emissions um, inventory to figure out where they can make some, some changes. And the bonus, I think, of having EWI members sitting around the table with us is that they're not invested so much in what the ratepayers think about the rates increase uh, as in they're saying, well, this is important. What are you doing in this space? So I find it quite useful that they do put the pressure on and, and uh, you know, they're asking the hard questions and saying, asking for more. Um, I know Horizons does a, a lot of uh, work monitoring rivers, uh, mostly for sort of uh, swim quality, but also, you know, in case of flooding and needing to open uh, floodgates, etc. But f- rivers and the, the habitat immediately beside rivers are one of the main barometers for, for climate change, aren't they? I mean, you can tell a lot what's going on in the climate sphere just by looking at the river are the are, are the councils around and within this joint committee using any data that horizons is gathering yeah well the data that we gather feeds into things like the vulnerability assessment we did which was looking across the region at which areas would need to be you know given special attention um, because they are focusing more uh, facing more risks than some other areas and uh, so much of the data we collect feeds into things like the district plans. So if a, if a local council's working out, they're expanding where the next sort of housing goes, well, they are reliant on the, the mapping and the information we have uh, that relates to flooding and you know coastal inundation so that they don't give permission for a new subdivision uh, that will be underwater and under the climate change scenarios that we might be facing. Yes, that would be that. That would have an effect on property prices. I'm quite sure. Mm, um, it would. A, a, a committee such as a climate action joint committee um, must have some uh, ears and voices from Tangata Fenua around it, surely, in order to provide the appropriate response. Do we? Do we have representation there? Yes. So there's seven seven Tangata Fenua members on on the committee, and they were nominated. By iwi, so we went out to all the iwi across the region and asked them to put forward some names of who they thought would be good. And um, yeah, it's working really well. 
the input has been very valuable. And uh, not wanting you to put words in their mouth, but do you think they are happy with the uh, progress that's being made with this committee? Because oftentimes we are accused of moving a bit too slowly in response to climate change. (laughs) Yes, the wheels of bureaucracy turn slowly. That might actually make for a really interesting interview if you wanted to talk to Huana Smith, the co-chair. She's got some really good views on climate change and she'll be able to tell you whether she thinks we're moving fast enough. We we should do that. Maybe we could donate mm. one of the horizon slots and and and, and tee up that interview. We'll have to. I'll, I'll try and remember that. Um, we are here with uh, Chairperson Rachel Keedwell from Horizons Regional Council on the Catch Up on Manawatu People's Radio. If you'd like to listen to this or previous editions of the Catch Up series, just head to the website npr.nz forward slash show forward slash catch up. Um, I see uh, Rachel that Nicola Patrick uh, has made some headlines. Uh, she wants the economic focus of the of Horizons Regional Council to shift uh, to one of sustainability. Uh, can you unpack that for us? Yeah, sure. That's one of those things where the headline doesn't always tell the whole story. So that came from a council meeting where we were discussing the group called Accelerate 25, which is a leadership group that is funded through Horizons that is focused on uh, economic development opportunities for the region. Uh, it was pulled together back in, I think, 2015 or 2014. And at that point in time, there was a lot of uh, areas in the region that were going backwards. So, uh, you know, the provincial towns that were contracting rather than expanding in terms of growth. And it was a way of also tapping into some of the government money that became available for um, regional economic development. And so there, there was a bit of a discussion around our table as to are we making sure that the projects that are supported and put forward by this group have a sustainability and resilience focus uh, versus just one on pure growth, which I think is a very valid question to be asking. Yeah, and and, and that's I, I guess the, the insinuation there is not that this was just a big money-grabbing exercise and just all about growth, but because I, I remember back in the time speaking to, to your predecessor and, and Michael McCartney and learning for the first time myself about Accelerate 25 and how actually quite forward-thinking it was uh, and, mm. and how sustainability did feature in, in some of the projects. So is it a, a case of maybe just some need a little tweak here and there just to ensure that sustainability shines a bit brighter? Yeah, yep. Um, I mean, I was concerned about the project when it first got off the ground because there was the the growth study that accompanied it and it was proposing projects like, you know, factory farming chickens and things that are not really the way we need to do, do business anymore. There are better ways of doing things. So I think it's a good question to keep asking so that that lens is put over things. And maybe not covered in that article as much was um, Sam Ferguson asking about making sure there was a climate change lens over these projects as well. Um, so prioritising things that are addressing the the risks and the impacts of, of climate change. But the other, the other uh, area that's really been quite a fascinating outcome from that project is bringing together the region is one. So rather than the different councils competing against each other, which has been in the past, you know, I, I, you might recall there was the debate about where a um, the cycling, oh, the words slipped my mind now, you know, the outdoor cycling arena. Velodrome. Velodrome, that's the word. Yes. And you had different councils kind of bidding for it. 
And whereas what we're doing now is working together as a region and saying, well, what's best for the region? And so when one council needs support, the rest of the mayors are in behind them mm. and going to government and saying, you know, this is, this is necessary for the region. And that's been really influential in some of the transport, transport projects, like the location of the new Gorge Road and some of the surrounding infrastructure that's, that's coming out of that project. Um, that was off the back of, I think, the, the cohesiveness of the region from working together in this way. It, 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 it does seem to me to be a bit of a no-brainer that we have to work together because no individual place in this region um, has it better than anywhere else. It, it is the sum of its surroundings um, to, to make it what it is, which was why I found it quite challenging when Palmerston North City Council pulled some of its funding from the Central Economic Development Agency to do some of its things in-house and, and market Palmerston North as its own unique thing, whereas... It is, as I said, the sum of its surroundings. I guess, I guess, mm. Horizons is somewhat the custodian of that that wider look. Yeah, and that's where the regional council can play that role because the structure of each of the local councils they are set up to only fund. You know, they're, they're asking their own ratepayers for money and they're wanting to give best value for money for those ratepayers. So it becomes just as a consequence of the structure, it becomes very internally and locally focused rather than. Uh, looking outside of that arbitrary line drawn on the map that doesn't really mean much to some people. Definitely. Um, just thinking about it, you've said we, you, that there's a sustainability lens that we need to look at some of these projects through. Uh, you also mentioned Sam Ferguson's climate change lens. Um, is it going to be a case of like when you go and visit the optician and they put all those different lenses in front of your eyes, you're looking at the same <laughs> thing, but you're looking at it through a different bit of glass. Are we going to have to have a range of lenses to look through as a way to, to map the suitability of projects going forward? That's a very Fraser question, isn't it? <laughs> um, <laughs> right, okay. No, but it is. It's, I mean, it's, a, it's an analogy, I guess, isn't it? It's saying when you're thinking about these projects, think of it through these eyes mm. rather than um, just taking a very narrow or blinkered, blinkered look at the potential outcomes. I guess another way of, of saying it is, are there other uh, concerns that we should be mindful of when we uh, start planning projects in the future? I mean, obviously, you know, massive chicken farms are a, a thing of the past now, and we shouldn't really be building new ones. But uh, back in, you know, a while ago, that was a very realistic and, and sensible idea. So what, what other things are we going to have to be mindful of? Uh, well, the I'm just trying to look up the one of the documents that has um, a lot of the funding we've worked through the government to get is through uh, what's now called Kanoa. I can't remember what they used to be called. They were, you know, the provincial growth fund, and mm-hmm. uh, that was the, the previous name. And they have developed a thing called Prism, which is their lens. So the P is looking at prosperity, resilience for the R, sustainability for the S, Māori economy for the M. I can't remember what the I was. So they have looked at those things. And so that's, that's good guidance for us as the Accelerate 25 lead team to, to take that, which is a, you know, a good word because it is putting these different lenses across the work and uh, considering it under those, under those headings. Mm. 
Um, let's move on. Um, we've spoken to Mayor Helen Warboy's um, uh, the past couple of interviews uh, around Three Waters. Obviously, she is uh, part of this leadership team of Communities for Local Democracy, which is the uh, collective voice of some 30 councils across the country that are opposing the the structure that um, the uh, the government are wanting to reform Three Waters with, uh, in particular wastewater in the first instance. Uh, we've also spoken to Mayor Grant Smith of Palmerston North City Council, uh, Palmerston North City Council, a council that is not uh, part of Communities for Local Democracy, uh, in his words, basically because City Council can't afford to do the work that it needs to do on its own infrastructure without government support, so they're in. Um, and we also heard the news last week that um, CEO of the Palmerston North City Council, Heather Schotter, uh, is uh, resigning to take up a role with the government's new Three Waters, um, well, she'll be with the DIA, I think, but managing the transition to Three Waters. So there's a range, mm. there's a, there's a range of views here. Um, Helen Warboys would say that they are talking to government and they are actively working towards changing what the structure is going to be. Uh, the city council are saying... Uh, Basically, it's a, a done deal, and, and certainly um, Heather Shorter's appointment would imply that you know things are, are close to the transition kicking off. Um, horizons are not listed, but I, I don't know that you would necessarily be eligible to be part of Communities for Local Democracy, being a regional council as opposed to lower down. Um, you're part of the infrastructure of managing water already. What, what's your current take on the situation? Are, are we going to see the three waters structure as the government has outlined manifestly changed because of Communities for Local Democracy, or is this a done deal? Is it going ahead? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think there was an article, I can't remember which site it was that I was reading over the weekend, that was questioning exactly that because of so many of the wheels are actually in motion and the working group that is tasked with taking on board other councils' feedback and reporting back to the government. They, It sounds like they have their hands tied as to uh, how much change they can suggest. Um, so I, I actually invited uh, Helen Warboys to come and present to our council about the her group and um, why they are taking a different stance from what was proposed by the government, just to give my councillors a bit more of an understanding of some of the options that, that are out there. Mm. And uh, it, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, it, I think the basic starting point is there is definitely a case for change and what the Communities for Local Democracy are suggesting isn't, uh, it's not a bunch of mayors sitting there saying, we don't want to change, we want to hold on to the status quo. Uh, which is good to hear because it's quite clear from the different uh, news items that you hear around wastewater and sewage and drinking water, the problems that we've got with an ageing infrastructure. So so the case is that we need change, but it's exactly what form does that change take? And I think that's the angle that Helen was, was uh, taking and they commissioned some work to really analyse the government's uh, proposal and looked across a number of different areas to see, does it really stack up? And a lot of the research the government had done was based on the Scottish model, which doesn't really have many parallels in how New Zealand is set up. So whether it's valid to say the outcomes um, are going to be the same for us as it was for them is, is a key point in what, what Helen was saying to our council. Um, yeah, so I don't have a, a, a view on what the outcome needs to be. I do think that there are some holes in what the government has proposed and they should be seriously looking and allowing the working group 
to to patch those holes. Mm. Do do you see merit in the argument that Helen's put forward as well around the ownership of the assets? Because um, one of the the sort of the, the the opinions on this matter that I've heard is that some of these councils are opposed to the reform because the basic infrastructure, the the, the three waters, the roads and pavements, uh, rubbish collection, those are pretty much the only things that the councils offer. And if you take away these assets, there will not be the sort of equity there to borrow on to do some other projects. They they will have to seriously rethink what it is they do, as opposed to somewhere like Palmerston North City Council, which does a lot more beyond the the bare Mm -hmm. minimum, if you want to call it. Is there that fear that some councils might think they, they may cease to be if this goes through? Oh, there absolutely is. But you've got to ask yourself if it's, if it's fear of redundancy, if we take these roles off them, is that the best reason to hold on to something the way it currently is? I don't think so. I think, you know, if we were going to design the system, we wouldn't design it again this way. So let's take the opportunity to get it right. And and this is part of the problem with the, the huge sweep of change that the government is proposing, all the reforms, is that they're very much piecemeal. And the, the last piece in the puzzle that's now turning up is the um, future of local government review because of those very questions. If we, if we change some of the central functions uh, that local government has, what's left and is it, what do we do instead? Um, and... Yeah, so you want to make sure that the right uh, drivers are behind this, and it's not just wanting to hang on to these assets because we've always owned them. I don't, I don't understand the argument of the ownership because they're still going to be owned by the community as such. Um, I think the more important thing is having the community input into the future of them and the management of them, rather than being concerned about who holds them. As long as it's set up so they don't get privatised. Yeah, We are here with Chairperson Rachel Keedwell from Horizons Regional Council. If you'd like to listen to this interview again, you can do so by heading to the website npr.nz forward slash show forward slash catch up. Also on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, wherever you get your online listening. Uh, We've made it 21 minutes, Rachel, without mentioning the pandemic, but alas, we must. Um, We've heard, well, I mean, most people will be aware of the current situation. Uh, I know my kids are are having to do days at home from school because there aren't enough teachers because uh, teachers are having to isolate um, either being family contacts or, or directly um, contracting COVID at the moment um, but this extends to pretty much every industry um, a- across the, the, the region and in p- particular today we want to just mention that people should be aware the buses could be affected as well. Yeah, absolutely. So at this, at this stage where buses are all operating to normal levels of service and we, we absolutely encourage people to continue to take the bus. I mean, our, the patronage has taken a big hit through through COVID. Um, and, you know, we intend to keep the service levels the same as long as driver availability uh, is, is um, you know, we've got drivers that are there yeah. and able to, to take the buses out for us. So um, they come under the, the government's close contact exemption scheme. So that means that even if they are a close contact and they have someone at home who has COVID, if they take a rat test in the morning, they are still, and it's negative, they can still drive the bus. But at some point, and it's already happening in other areas of the country, there will be services that just can't run because there aren't enough drivers. Um, 
So at this stage, we are saying make sure you check the Horizons website to uh, get the most up-to-date information. But we don't have any sort of text alert service to subscribe to. Mm. Um, so that's probably the easiest way of doing it or, or ringing our front desk. Um, and we've also got a few changes on the bus. We're just, again, to keep the drivers as safe as possible, encouraging backdoor boarding where you can. So if you've got your B card, you can just tag on and tag off through the back door. Um, of course, if you still need to use the front door, so if you've got a push chair or a wheelchair, um, they can still use the front door to get on and off. And of course, face masks are still mandatory, I assume. Yes, yes, and there's QR codes there that you can scan as well. And are some pieces, some uh, seats still cordoned off, or is it a bit freer to sit down? I don't think so. I haven't actually been on the bus myself lately, so um, I think that was more under the the social distancing when there were yeah requirements to, to stay apart. Yeah, um, and one of the other things that will be interesting though is the rising petrol prices. You know, you know, we're heading up towards three dollars a litre, and that's really going to make it difficult for some families. And um, in the past, there's been a really close correlation between bus patronage and petrol prices. So we've got the, you know, the extra variable of uh, COVID impacts thrown into that. So it might not be quite as clear, but um, I'm sure that will actually be a factor that people are considering when they're making their travel arrangements around the place. Um, it's just that cost of keeping the petrol in the car now. Indeed, uh, it, yeah, up to three dollars a liter, and and onwards and onwards as long as the world continues to spin in its delightfully unique fashion for twenty twenty two. We've got a couple of minutes left, Rachel. Um, you wanted to talk briefly about some behind the scenes work at Horizons, in particular, the, sort of the structure of governance and how it might look going forward. Yeah, yeah. So regional councils uh, originated around catchment boards and catchment boards were very engineering focused and they were around you know flood protection and flood schemes and drainage schemes and most regional councils have kept those roots quite strong and what that has ended up doing is you have this very siloed approach where you've got one team of people managing a river for flood protection and then you've got another team of people looking at things like the biodiversity value and uh you know, the way people are using the space. <laughs> and uh, it's not always the best way to uh, use the same river system if the work of one team impacts on what the other team's trying to achieve. So what we have done are moving to what we're calling an integrated catchment approach, where anything to do with a catchment, uh, you know, a river system, is run out of the same group. And our, our governance structures are going to reflect that as well. And we're hoping that that makes for you know, a better, sustainable, more holistic outcome uh, in terms of managing our rivers into the future. So we're not just focusing on engineering solutions. We're actually looking at what uh, all of the values of those rivers and what they offer to us and the communities that they support. Very consistent with some of the other things that we've been talking about uh, in the interview this morning. Uh, Rachel Kidwell, Chairperson of Horizons Regional Council, thank you for joining us this morning. You are most welcome. And remember, if you want to listen to this or previous editions of the Catch Up series, just head to the website npr.nz forward slash show forward slash catch up. We're back tomorrow at half past eight with Matt Dallas from the Manawatu Standard, finding out what they've been reporting on the last couple of weeks. On Thursday, we'll be catching up with Mayor Helen Warboys from Manawatu District Council. And on Friday, MP for Palmerston North, Tangi Utikeri. Do join us tomorrow at half past eight. Bye for now.
you're a fan of NPR, listening to our podcasts and live stream has never been easier. Just search for accessmedia.nz on the App Store or Google Play and download the app with the Kiwi Fruit logo. Once you've got it, pick Manawatu People's Radio from the list of stations and go find your new favourite show.